Hey, Julie, you know, today on the podcast, we're going to talk about jargon. We're going to talk about how to speak 401k with your clients. But when it comes to jargon, I'll tell you, uh, whenever my kids call me to go and stop at a coffee shop and order them a coffee, it's not that simple, right? I don't drink coffee personally, but it's like a whole nother language. Not only the type of coffee, but even the cup you have to get it in. I'm like small, medium and large. That doesn't exist anymore. It's almost like I don't even know how to communicate. I know you are from the Seattle area, so you must be an expert. I have had a little bit of practice in ordering Starbucks, yes, and and don't ever say small, medium, large. It's short, <laughs> tall, grande, and venti. Let's get it right here. Come on now. If you're the person in line in front of me, I might actually have you say, sirs, please step aside. Let me order for you. This is too painful. So I'm very excited to hear that from Rick about the actual jargon that we can learn. <laughs> I was going to say, if that ever happens, please ask me to step aside. But why don't you share with everybody who our guest is today? Give them a little bit of Rick's background. Rick Unser is a partner and managing director in Creative Planning's retirement practice. Creative Planning is a registered investment advisory firm that manages or advises on more than $225 billion in assets and serves clients in all 50 states. All opinions expressed by Rick are solely his own and do not represent the opinion of creative planning. Rick has over 20 years of experience working with retirement plans and has a unique depth of knowledge around plan investments, fees, design, and employee outcomes. Rick is also the creator and host of the 401k Fridays podcast. He has released over 250 episodes featuring topical interviews with influential guests from around the retirement industry and multiple employers and plan sponsors. When not working or hosting his podcast, he is a proud husband and father of three who tries to squeeze in a round of golf whenever he can. So Julie, let's let everybody in on how Rick Unser taught you and I how to speak 401k with our clients. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Julie. We're the hosts of the Hartford Fund's Human-Centric Investing Podcast. Every other week, we're talking with inspiring thought leaders to hear their best ideas for how you can transform your relationships with your clients. Let's go. Thank you so much for joining us for the Human-Centric Investing Podcast, Rick. Welcome. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Rick, thanks again for joining us. And, you know, the title of our podcast today is how to speak 401k with your clients. I was joking with Julie earlier that it's kind of like sending me into a Starbucks to order a coffee where I feel like I have to learn an entirely new language. And, you know, sometimes when we start talking about fiduciaries and funding arrangements and so on and so forth, it starts to get confusing. But where I wanted to start are just with some of the basic roles in the plan business. Like sometimes people will throw out the, the, the title record keeper or TPA, uh, sometimes a consultant. Can you kind of review some of these players and tell us what a record keeper actually does or a TPA actually does and, and what resource they offer the financial professional? Absolutely. And I'm with you on the, the jargon and the, and the language and, one of the features that I do in my podcast from time for time is an episode where I get together with a friend and, and we we call it jumbled gibberish or jargon. And it's, you know, there's so many little words and so many anachronisms. And it's like, 
are they pulling my leg here or or is that really something that that exists in the world of 401k so uh, believe me you're, you're not the only one that, uh, that 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 sees and recognizes just the the crazy dialect that's out there in the world of 401k plans but more specifically if, if you look at the let, let's call it the ecosystem of who's involved in 401k plans uh, the first one that, that most people tend to start with and, and is usually the, the you know there's brands and companies that you'll recognize uh, is that record keeper role and, and as i like to try to explain it uh, the record keeper is really the participant facing resource or the employee facing resource in the world of 401k so it's some of the big names like the Fidelities, the Vanguards, the Schwabs, T. Rowe Price, all the way down to a bunch of more local or regional firms that you've you've probably never heard of, but that, that doesn't make them uh, make them bad or inferior in any way. So again, that record keeper, they're really doing the, all that participant level interaction. So you're going to their website. They're the one who's, they have a call center. They're producing the statements. Uh, if somebody needs to change investments or take a loan or a distribution, they're handling all of that work. Uh, and again, the, the record keeper side of it, there's a there's some additional elements to it, but really that, that core record keeping is just making sure the plan has a good day-to-day -day valuation and update of what's going on in the participant accounts with the, as the markets are changing and evolving and, uh, and things like that. The, the TPA who you mentioned, this, this is where things can sometimes get a little confusing because there's sort of two different models out there in the world of 401k plans. Uh, what's called a, a, an unbundled arrangement is where you have a record keeper who is working with an independent third-party administrator or TPA, or the plan might be offered on what's called a bundled arrangement where the record keeper is taking on the responsibilities of the TPA as part of the services they're providing to the business. So a third-party administrator, what they do is they do all the stuff that the employees never see and quite frankly, don't, don't really appreciate or, or much less understand. So the third-party administrator is the one who oversees the plan document. Every 401k has to have a document which states all the rules of the plan. Uh, and believe me, when you go from, hey, I participate in a 401k and I'm saving money out of my paycheck and my company gives me a nice match, and I can choose some investments. When you go from that level of understanding of 401k to really starting to get in the guts of it, uh, that TPA is really the one that is, is setting those rules with the company and, and enforcing those and helping to translate those as well to the business owner or to the business who are trying to make sure they understand how things work. So that plan document is what sets out all the rules. There's also some testing that plans have to go through every single year and Boy, that could be a, a podcast in and amongst itself uh, in terms of how all that works. But suffice to say, there's some very complex math that needs to be run on the plan every year to make sure that it's being utilized in uh, every, all the ratios and things of that nature work out. Uh, and then also your plan has to file a 5500, which is kind of like a tax return that just discloses some basic facts about the plan on an annual basis. So the, the third party administrator, that again, that can be an independent group or that record keeper could be performing those types of functions on their own in that bundled capacity. But those are the two big engines behind the plan that, that need to be present to make it go. From there, you have folks like I, I would imagine are listening to this podcast that they're could be the consultant or the broker, the advisor. There's a lot of different words that, that people will identify themselves as or will go by out in the marketplace or 
are quite frankly that the employer will refer to them as uh, a lot of it just depends on you know probably their experience or, or what they might be comfortable with but that's kind of the third leg in that retirement ecosystem is a financial professional that is working alongside of the of the client of the business and interacting in some way shape or form with a record keeper or third-party administrator uh, either on an annual or periodic basis based on uh, where they want to add value in the in the given process well my my mind is spinning with all of that uh nomenclature and i appreciate that uh, education i think it's so so helpful just in wrapping our minds around all of the different roles and key players for a financial professional that is really interested in this and just doesn't feel proficient in speaking 401k as we've titled this podcast what would be some initial resources or some areas that you would encourage a financial professional to tap into just to to begin to sort of practice and wrap their own mind around all of these moving parts yeah i i mean i'll tell you what i did and, and i think it, it probably still holds true today and your your wholesalers out in the marketplace are are just tremendous resources and and it, it might not be you might not be able to figure this out in one phone call but I, I think if you have a trusted wholesaler that you work with i would talk to them find out who their 401k expert or who their 401k or what we would call some sorry some more an acronyms here defined contribution or dc specialist might be in your in your given market and really give them a call, get on the phone, get on a Zoom, whatever it might be, and just start to, to kind of ask questions or pick their brain. Most people that I come across, they, they want to teach, they want to help people understand, they're excited to help more people understand how the world of 401k or 403b, how that, how that works, how that functions. Also, those, uh, those DC specialists, oftentimes, they're going to know people in your local market. So one of the one of the biggest things that helped me along the way was I found an amazing local third party administrator who just was willing to take me under her wing and just get on phone calls with me, answer calls, texts, emails, all sorts of crazy questions that I had, some of them very rudimentary and basic like why do you have to do discrimination testing to, you know, much more complex topics around this company acquired another company and they have different matching scenarios and they want to integrate them. They want to keep it as separate as long as they can. What do we do? You know, so all sorts of these things are, are part and parcel to what those third party administrators are very well equipped to handle. And again, they're very passionate. Most of them are very passionate business owners who want to teach and want to see people share in that passion. So, I think if you are willing and interested in getting into this business uh, and or just having a bigger role in your clients, the way that they look at their their workplace retirement plans, find that DC specialist, find a local third party administrator, and believe me, they would be will be more than happy to help you help teach you the ropes. And then from there, it'll kind of be what you make of it. And it might just be enough to have a kind of a passing knowledge of what's going on so that you can be that proverbial fly in the wall and help in an advisory capacity to help your client make great decisions, or maybe this is something where you you find a passion and you want to become a subject matter expert and that takes you down a, a completely different path. So lots of resources out there, but it just starts with one or two phone calls and, and a willingness to learn. 
Rick, when it comes more specific to the questions around investing, I know this is an area where we often find a lot of jargon. It seems like instead of letters, all of a sudden we're getting numbers like, you know, 321s. And But more recently, hearing things about uh, clients wanting to hold Bitcoin or talking about the role of ESG or default investment options, things like that. How, how should I, as, uh, an, as a professional that, you know, I haven't done a lot of plan business, um, but how do I think about these things as they come at me? And the resources you mentioned, are they the place to turn for these kind of answers or this kind of education? I think so. When it comes to investing, I would really look at, at probably three places. One would be you know, whoever your own internal broker dealer or registered investment advisor might be, depending upon their size or, or, or their scope of what they're doing in the in that 401k space. There might be some white papers, there might be some other information that's available that would have some topics, uh, or would, would address some of those topics that you were just asking about. Uh, the second space, the DC specialist, as I mentioned, one of the the key things that they bring to the to the market is not just that sort of knowledge that you can learn over a phone call or, or just a Zoom call or by attending a webinar that they might have, but also they have a lot of people internally that are putting out position papers, white papers that are that are speaking or doing or providing other free educational input to help you understand, well, okay, can I have Bitcoin in a 401k plan? Or would it make sense for a, a, a client to pursue an ESG strategy? And what does that look like? What does the DOL think about that? What how are some of the, the fiduciary worlds and lawsuits that are going on out there? How are they thinking about ESG or targeting ESG, uh, private equity for that matter, whatever it might be? There's so much great information out there that, you know, again, if you, as I say, just ask the Google, they will, it'll spit a lot of information out. But if you're not quite sure what you're looking at there, then your DC specialists, they, they can help you interpret. And then the third area I think is, there are so many attorneys that specialize in the world of 401k plans and the specific anacronym for those attorneys are ERISA attorneys, E-R-I-S-A. So that's the body of laws, the federal body of laws that govern workplace retirement plans. And so many of these ERISA attorneys, you can find they have, they're putting out great thought papers. They're putting out great information into the marketplace trying to help clients and committees and advisors and other people that are struggling with these very decisions they're trying to put out some of their thoughts into the universe on what what you should be thinking about as you're considering some of these different investment uh, investment topics or you're struggling with what to do in a particular a particular area you know, it's interesting, right? Because I, I hear you explain all of these pieces and parts and how they fit together. I'm curious, as a plan gets larger, what starts to change in terms of the structure or the key players or or does it? I, I guess I, I being a novice at this and learning the language uh, today, I'd be curious about your thoughts on uh, what changes as plans grow. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, sort of like watching kids get uh, get bigger, right? And and they their their needs are going to change and evolve, and sometimes they're predictable, sometimes they're not. But what what we see is let's just start with kind of a small plan. A lot of times, just in in this day and age, and in this the the way the market is today, a lot of times those small plans are going to have a record keeper. They're going to have that third part local third party administrator doing a lot of the 
the compliance work, the plan design work, and you'll have a financial professional sort of attached to them. And then over time, as that plan grows, assets come in, maybe complexity increases. Sometimes they'll outgrow those relationships and they might need a new record keeper. They might move from an unbundled to a bundled service model, which means that they're sort of combining that record keeper and third-party administrator role. Once a plan gets to enough headcount, uh, about 120 employees or higher, against kind of rough guidance there, they'll need an audit. So you have to have an independent third party that comes in and audits the financials of the plan every year. As you kind of move, continue to move up market, then you're going to start to see attorneys working a little more closely with plans just because the stakes get a little higher in terms of the risk. You know, as plan assets go from maybe a few hundred thousand to a few million to 50 million, 100 million and up, uh, that's really where you start to see some of the class action attorneys get a little more interested in retirement plans. And that's where, again, you have a lot of those employers who are going to look for that guidance and support from an independent ERISA attorney. Uh, also, is depending upon the complexity of the company, there can be other consultants that are that are working that might not necessarily be directly advising the 401k, but you have compensation consultants or equity consultants or benefits consultants that are working with companies on broader, more holistic strategies that the 401k needs to fit into. So it definitely evolves and grows, but I wouldn't let any of that really intimidate you. I would say that for the for the time being, just kind of find what area of the market you're comfortable in. And as we talked about in the last episode, kind of where you feel like you can add value or solve problems. And over time, what you'll what you'll find is that you, you'll, you'll kind of find that niche where you serve the best. And, and then you'll be able to grow with that as it uh, as the plans grow and as the needs of your client grow. And Rick, that was the nature of, of my next question for you, which is, you know, we talked about jargon today and it seems everybody speaks kind of the same jargon. And oftentimes I hear people say, look, when it comes to the plan business, don't just go and do the same thing everybody else does, right? Fees, funds, and fiduciary. But question to Rick answer is, given that that part of the business seems somewhat commoditized, where Rick, do you see the opportunity as a financial advisor to differentiate yourself from the offerings that another advisor may be bringing? Where's the opportunity lie? Yeah, I really think it, it comes down to looking at your book of business, finding where you have some commonalities or nexus within that book of business. You know, my guess is that if you've got 20 clients, 100 clients, whatever it might be, there's, there's probably some overlap there. You know, you've probably found a group of people that you work well with and you speak well with and they, you, they understand what you're saying. You understand what they're saying. Hey, that's probably why they hired you uh, in the, to be your, their financial advisor or planner or whatever the, whatever the case may be. And then look at where there's some nexus where between them. Are they small business owners? Are they executives? Whatever it is. And then I think try to ask them some questions about, hey, tell me a little bit more about your workplace retirement plan. You know, is it, again, depending upon the level they're at, you know, is it working for you? Is it working for your business? Would you, are there things you would like to do or you've always wondered if you could do that might be able to make an impact or might help you, whether it be with your own personal financial planning or might help you from a business level, recruit or retain or grow your business. So I think kind of finding some of those answers, I think will make you a very effective advisor and will give you a very good entry point 
uh, and also just kind of help you as you talk to some of those DC specialists or third-party administrators. Hey, you know, I don't do much 401k right now, but here's the two or three things I'm hearing from my clients that I'm really trying to figure out how I can help them and how I can get better solutions for them. And I think if you do that, that'll give you a much higher rate of success and much more traction with your client. And I mean, quite frankly, a lot of times you're not going to succeed in all cases, but, but for me, at least I know with my clients, if I can add value and if I can help them find solutions, then I'm looked at as more of a trusted resource. They're more likely to refer business to me. They're more likely to stay with me over time. Uh, and I think that's just a, you know, that's a, a win-win all around, whether you bring on kind of a new line of business or whether you are really just kind of enhancing your reputation as that trusted advisor that they can come to with any and all questions that then might have a dollar sign next to it. Rick, as you know, so many uh, financial professionals are members of a team. Have you found that in a team construct, it's best to have one person specialize in this area uh, as opposed to have everyone on the team uh, understand and speak the language, if you will? Or is there a best practice as it pertains to teams that you've come across in your experience? I do think depending upon your your scope and, and how many plans you handle. Again, coming from my world, this is all I do. So, so we're very cross-functional. Everybody sort of understands 401k or 403b or whatever it might be. But when you, if you're a wealth manager, if you're a financial planner and you're trying to get into the space, I think for now it's probably, all right, learn, understand it on your own, kind of have those conversations, start to have some success. And then as you have some traction and you're, and you're looking for, okay, well, how do I go do more of this and continue to keep my clients happy? Probably start with somebody who's dedicated to doing this and can understand and get in there and invest the time and the energy that you just had to invest to kind of get yourself to a level of confidence, or excuse me, competence versus trying to say, all right, everybody's going to get cross-trained on 401k now. I, I don't know that, I don't know that that pays the dividends you're, you probably want it to. Well, Rick, we certainly have enjoyed our conversation about jargon. And now Julie and I have a little jargon of our own. We're going to go through a series of questions, which we call lightning round questions, to help our audience understand a little bit better about who Rick Unser is. So what we're looking for is the top answer right off the top of your head to some fairly simple questions that we're going to we're going to fire at you. So you ready to go? Let's do it. What's something you could eat for a week straight? I'll go grapes. Grapes are grapes I can do. Are you a city person or a country person? It's been an evolving question. I started as a city person, but as I as I get older and less tolerant of noise and other things, I've been I've been enjoying a little more seclusion, a little more uh, a little more separation. So where where I live, you've got neighbors literally three feet away from you in all directions. So. It's uh, it's fun to be there, but when you're if if I really have to choose my if I really have to choose where I want to be, it's uh, it's a little farther away from the hubbub and a little more a uh, little more out in the country. Do you prefer to shop online or do you like to go to the store? Gosh, that, that's a coin flip. It depends on the store. Now, I, I mean, I like a good walk around at Williams Sonoma, but try to take me to a department store and I'll shop online all day. Rick, are you right-handed or left-handed? right-handed. Do you prefer a paper to-do list or a digital one? 
I do both. I get more done when I write it down and it's right in front of me. The the digital to-do list is just, it's too easy just to, to move it on to the next day. Would your friends say you're an introvert or an extrovert? I'd I think that answer has changed over the last few years. I, I feel like if the, you know, if 10 is an extrovert and one is an introvert, I, I probably was more of a six or seven a few years ago. Now I'm probably more of a four to five. So slightly skewing, you know, slightly skewed towards introvert, but not somebody who likes to just sit by myself. In your opinion, what's the best age? The best age is, is today, right? Today's age, get out there and enjoy it, embrace it and appreciate it and make the most of it. And I think we'll leave you alone after that one. That was a great answer. Rick, we can't thank you enough for joining us today and sharing your insight on how to speak 401k with your clients. And for those of you listening that would like to hear more from Rick and other industry experts, please check out his podcast at the 401k Fridays podcast. Thank you again, Rick, for being here with us on the Human Centric Investing Podcast. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Hartford Funds Human Centric Investing Podcast. If you'd like to tune in for more episodes, don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, or YouTube. And if you'd like to be a guest and share your best ideas for transforming client relationships, email us at guestbooking at hartfordfunds.com. We'd love to hear from you. Talk to you soon. The views and opinions expressed herein are those of our featured guests who are not affiliated with Hartford Funds. 